You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? It's so good to be back. So good to see all of you and be back in Whangarei. And hey, listen, I understand that this is the last Sunday in the absence of uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Amy. And so uh, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to thank the incredible team here of all their hard work and how well they've looked after the church. So could you give it up for the team, the staff, the interns here? What an amazing bunch they are. Wow. Actually, the the team here is really phenomenal, and someone who gets to step into this environment every so often and go into other environments just makes me realize you guys are really, really blessed with your church family, and you're an amazing congregation. It's a real privilege to be with you uh, this morning and closing out uh, our Culture Shift series. We've been looking at some of the key ideologies or the key philosophies of the cultural age that we live in in the hopes that, because we don't want to conform to the pattern of the world, right? We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we've been bringing to the surface some of the cultural ideologies of the day and then bringing a biblical perspective to them. And today I'm going to be looking at uh, do what makes you happy. That's the, that's the one I'm going to be taking a run at today. But before we begin, I just want you to know that I got a $70 pair of shoes yesterday for $9. But I got them for $9 because one's a seven and one's an eight. But you can't tell, can you? They look basically the same. And so if the preaching gets bad, just blame the seven shoe, okay? It's obviously causing me some pain. So, all right, let's just pray. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name uh, that you would encourage us by your word. Lord, we didn't really come to be encouraged by words of man. Lord, there's plenty of those floating around. Lord, we came to be encouraged by the word of God. And so we just right now submit ourselves beneath the authority of the word of God. We understand that every, every word of the Lord, every scripture is God-breathed and useful. And so we just submit ourselves beneath our word and we, your word. And we pray, God, that you would transform our lives through your word. We thank you that the word does the work in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I'm really bad at backwards driving. Some people call that reversing, but I call it backwards driving. I'm good at uh, forwards driving, which might encourage you because I've got my license, and I forwards drove all the way to Whangarei at six, from 6 a.m. this morning, but I'm not good at the reversing, and I used to battle with it. Uh, I used to be like, I need to get better at this, but now I just embrace it. I can drive forward effectively, but backwards, not so much. I recently discovered wing mirrors. Wow. They are helpful for reversing. I did not know. I thought that they were the ears of the car. You know, where the car looks like it's a face, the wing mirrors were the ears. Someone's getting free with wing mirrors this morning. They're like, oh my gosh. But you know, I recently discovered them. They're awesome, but bad at driving backwards. And so you need to understand that if you invite me to your house for dinner and you have a long driveway, I will confidently drive forward down your driveway and then expect you to reverse my car when I leave because I'm bad at backwards driving. 
Uh, but I have learned from reversing that sometimes you need to look back in order to move forward. Have you noticed that? In life, sometimes you do need to look back in order to move forward because there's so much that we can learn through looking backwards. And one of the things that I've noticed in my personal life, but also when you look at history, is that many of the problems in history repeat themselves. Have you ever noticed that history is somewhat cyclic? The things that human beings struggle with in the past, we tend to struggle with again, but just with different accents or wearing different clothes. Same problems, just with a slightly different nuance. And the same is true when we look at the history of the church. Studying the history of the church is incredibly intuitive because we are part of a movement that's ancient. Friends, it's been going on for a long time. One church, the history of our church, and one of the things that you observe when you see church history is that the church has battled the same problem in varying forms time and time again. Disunity and division has been a reoccurring problem in the church since the earliest centuries. Abuses of power have been, has been a reoccurring issue in the church for centuries. And today what I wanted to do is I wanted to look back at an ancient problem and a heresy that the church faced because I think that by looking backwards, we can discover the ways in which we face the same issue today. Now, what a heresy is, is a heresy, is a, it's a false belief, but it's false belief which challenges an essential Christian belief, something like the lordship of Christ or the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And the biggest challenge to the church, the early church in the first century after Christ was a heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism was, was a religion built around secret knowledge. That word gnosis is Greek, and it means knowledge. And it was the idea that salvation could be attained through the pursuit or the acquiring of secret knowledge. And it was uh, the biggest heresy, the biggest false belief that the early church faced. And in many respects, Early church orthodoxy was formed as a response to the pervasiveness of Gnosticism in the early church. It had some Jewish overtones, it had some uh, uh, Greek philosophical overtones, it also had some Christian overtones. It was a hodgepodge of beliefs. And I'm going to break down what ancient Gnosticism was because perhaps you'll be able to see some shades of it in our society today. Ancient Gnosticism said that the world of time, space, and matter is inferior. They believed that the world of time and space being inferior was that way because it was created by an inferior and possibly evil God. Beyond the world and the inferior God, there is a sublime place or a heavenly place that we must progress to. Uh, we can progress to this place, they believed, as we discovered the divine spark within they believed that truth is found within, that truth wasn't objective but subjective. It was found within. And they believed we progressed to the sublime place through knowledge or gnosis. Through gnosis, we escaped the inferior place by finding hidden pieces of knowledge in the world and in ourselves. That's what the ancient Gnostics believed. And because they believed that the flesh was inferior, they really struggled with the incarnation. The fact that Jesus Christ was totally divine, but also totally human. They thought that the whole goal in life was to escape the flesh. And so they couldn't get their heads around the fact that a God would put on flesh 
and dwell amongst us. And that's what John, many believe John is beginning to address. He's addressing an early form of Gnosticism when he says this, 1 John 4, 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in flesh is from God. Now that's a fascinating passage because for the modern day Christian, most of us don't struggle so much with defending the humanity of Christ, but by defending the divinity of Christ. And yet here in this early New Testament letter, we discover that what they're having to defend is not Christ's divinity, it's his humanity. It's because they are confronting an early version of Gnosticism. The Gnostics elevated knowledge as the means to salvation, but they believed that this knowledge was a secret one that was discovered by only an enlightened few. And can you see the pride that is inherent in that? Listen, if you believe as a believer that you are in possession of a secret knowledge and that causes you to be an enlightened Christian, that idea, friend, is not biblical, it's Gnostic. And actually, Paul begins to address it in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Ancient Gnosticism essentially taught that you were a child, excuse me, not that you were a child of God, but within you there was a potential to be God. There was a divine spark within you, and as you discovered it, as you journeyed through this oppressive world, you could progress to the sublime place by discovering truth in yourself and the world around you. Which actually, when you think about it, means that this heresy had its roots back far further than the first century AD. Because if the whole idea is that Gnosticism taught that you could be a little god, then actually the roots of it were in the Garden of Eden. This is what it says in Genesis 1, uh, 3, excuse me, 1 to 4. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, here it is, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the central temptation of man appears again in the early church, this time in the form of Gnosticism, the temptation of us not to think of ourselves as children of God, but as God. And I want to teach you for a second about the early church's response to this heresy. Because I want you to understand the resilience of the body that you are a part of. Time and time again in church history, when the church is confronting, confronted with opposition, confronted with challenge, she grows and strengthens like never before. The reality was that in response to this heresy, the church began to form creeds and doctrines of orthodox Christian belief that actually we still hold to today. The ancient Roman Empire in which the early church grew was a hotbed of persecution. 
the types of persecution that would make our hairs stand on end. People were burnt at the stake, crucified upside down. When it says persecuted for your belief, what they're talking about is there were times when believers were persecuted unto death. The only disciple, the only disciple out of the 12 that Jesus chose who did not get killed for his faith was John, but he finished his life in exile on Patmos. It was not an easy gig to be the follower of Christ in the first century AD. In fact, this, I'm going to give you some stats. In AD 40, Christians made up 0.017% of the population, the Roman population. By AD 350, they had grown to 56.5% of the Roman population. That's from roughly 1,000 believers to almost 34 million all converted within a system that sought to oppress, lock up, and even kill anyone who called themselves a follower of Christ. You need to understand the reality of this body that you are a part of. We do not shrink back when we encounter challenge. We are not intimidated when we encounter challenge. No, no, no. Actually, oppression and persecution is the hotbed on which the church expands and extends. Do you know, even today, the place where the gospel is progressing most quickly, the church is growing most quickly, are the places where the church is underground, when Christianity is banned. Why? Because there's something about opposition which causes the church of Jesus Christ to rise up in who she is, to stand in the fullness of who she is in Christ. That is the reality of the thing that you are a part of. And friend, that is good news, because the soil that we live in right now is a challenging one. And if when earlier on I read out some of those indicators of early Gnosticism, you went, man, that sounds like today, I would say that you're right. Because I really believe that we are living through the emergence, re-emergence of Gnosticism. In fact, I would call us the new Gnostic society. And I'm going to show you uh, what I mean. Um, Yvonne, if you could put it up on the world. Ancient Gnosticism said that the world is inferior. New Gnosticism says your world is inferior. Friend, this is the spirit of the comparison who scrolls through an Instagram feed and compares someone else's highlight reel with your mundane and ordinary. It doesn't say the world is inferior. It says my world is inferior. Ancient Gnosticism says matter is the problem. New Gnosticism says the mundane is the problem. If I'm going to have a good life, it has to be an exciting life. No longer does hanging out at home on Saturday constitute an amazing life. No, because the mundane must be overthrown, right? Ancient Gnosticism said that the, that the goal was to escape the body. New Gnosticism says that we must perfect the body unless you look like what they look like on the Photoshop or whatever it is. I've never used it. You have to perfect the body. Next slide, please, Yvonne. Ancient Gnosticism says look inward to find truth and the God within. New Gnosticism says look inward to find the real you. Self-create. Don't let anyone tell you who you are. Your truth comes from within you. Ancient Gnosticism says, escape the world to find the sublime. New Gnosticism says, escape the mundane.
mundane to find the amazing life. You have to find that overseas because you find the amazing life when you travel or when you do fun things or when you go to a five-star restaurant because you must escape the mundane. Ancient Gnosticism moved towards perfection through finding hidden spiritual knowledge. New Gnosticism moved towards the perfect life, get this, through tips, blogs, hacks, and secrets to success. I literally Googled one time, how do you start running? <laughs> it's funny that I did that, but it's funny that the response I got, the top hit was five ways to start running. Like, sure, like put on socks, shoes, and then go out your door, you know? And <laughs> No. <laughs> Ancient Gnosticism, you are a seeker pursuing fulfillment through hidden knowledge. New Gnosticism, you are a seeker pursuing fulfillment through incredible experiences and pleasure. And then the last uh, slide just says, uh, move past the inferior God to find the God beyond. Move towards fulfillment by breaking past the barriers set by society, tradition, religion, and others. That's deconstruction. Have you ever heard that we live in the age of deconstruction? That idea that everything that went before uh, your parents' generation is oppressive, and in order for me to become who I really am, I must overthrow it. I must break past it. Now listen to me. Deconstruction is good when it's something that needs to be deconstructed. What this is targeting is deconstruction for deconstruction's sake. The idea that I am just deconstructing this idea simply because it was passed down to me from a previous generation, and I must throw off that oppression in order to realize who I really am. Deconstruction, things that need to be constructed, that's positive. Deconstruction for the sake of deconstruction is going to be very destabilizing. Ancient Gnosticism says you are God. New Gnosticism says, here it is, it's all about you. Same principles, same language, just different clothes, different accents. We are living through the emergence of the new Gnosticism. In fact, I would call us the new Gnostic society. And the chief goal of the 21st century Gnostic can be boiled down to a simple statement. The goal of life is to be happy and feel good about yourself. Our underlying belief beneath our desires and, and our decisions can be boiled down to one simple sentence. Just do whatever makes you happy. It is the reemergence of an ancient problem that plays into the temptation that man initially fell for in the garden, which says you can be like God. The issue with thinking that you are like God is that what tends to be the fruit of that is that we refuse to submit to anything. And I know that that word submission is a loaded one. But what I mean when I say submission is to come under a good, perfect authority. I'm talking about you in relation to King Jesus, okay? Submission to something that is bad obviously is going to be harmful. But I'm using that word submission in the kingdom sense. Our submission to our good and perfect King Jesus, okay? Just needed to clarify that. 
But our issue becomes submission because the highest goal in a Gnostic society is radical individualization and freedom. It's the idea that the more free I get, the happier I will be. The less constrained I am with finance, the more access I have to learning, the more access I have to information, the more access I have to freedom of movement, the freer I am, the happier I will be. Friends, we have more access to information than we've ever had before, more access to freedom of movement, more access to money in many respects. I'm not talking about your personal experience, but in many respects, more access to money. And yet, are we happier? Are we happier? That shows us that this radical freedom, this radical overthrowing and submission isn't working. Can I give you a, a, an example of this? Um, small groups in church, right, is a great example of this. One of the things that we find in church circles that I've found, not at our, at our church, not in Whangarei, okay? I'll just talk about our church, not your church, because your church won't struggle with this, eh? Uh, <laughs> is that people will say what they crave for is belonging and acceptance, a sense of family, but then they're not prepared to commit to joining a small group, which is our first and foremost way that we help people find a sense of family. And part of the reason is because of the narrative of the world, because I need this sense of freedom, I need to be able to free to get up in the morning to say, oh, I don't feel like going to that, and so therefore we don't want to commit. Our commitment to freedom, our commitment to radical freedom, is getting in the way of our ability to commit, and the reality is the fruit of that is that we feel like we don't belong. Friends, it's a sign and a symptom of a Gnostic world. Because if we believe that we are a little God, and therefore we shouldn't have to submit to anything, you can't tell me what to do, you can't tell me, lack of submission is the fruit of a Gnostic belief. And actually, if you look at the course of human history, you can see example and after example of us throwing off anything that we would perceive as oppressive. Now again, I'm not saying that all of these are negative. I just want to give you examples of the way we throw off anything that we believe is oppressing our freedom. We did it when we started in history, beheading kings and queens. When we started to see religious institutions as the, and the church as oppressive and so therefore get rid of them. When a political party has been in power for too long, don't let it go to their heads, vote them out. Traditional working hours, who needs them? We work flexibly. You can't tell me when to come in. I'll work when it suits me. You hear what I'm saying, right? All of these are examples of that deconstructive idea that we must throw off anything that is oppressing our radical freedom. And my question is, friends, is it leading us to happiness? Because I'm not sure that it is. See, my theory is, is that what we're doing is essentially throwing out the roadmaps. You remember when we used to use roadmaps? Now we have Google Maps, praise the Lord. <laughs> but we used to use roadmaps. And the premise of a roadmap was that someone earlier had gone and charted the course, put the roadmap together so that we could trace our journey home. 
When you live in an age of radical deconstruction, the threat is that you throw out all the roadmaps, all the previous ideas, previous systems, previous indicators that would get us home. And we wonder why we feel anxious. We wonder why we feel identityless. We wonder why those things are a struggle. It's because we are trying to deconstruct the past, but it's disorientating the present. Do you guys understand what I'm... That's why I thank God that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm so thankful that Jesus tells us that he is the way home. He is the roadmap. Because the reality is, friend, that you were created for a life of submission. But it wasn't submission to an evil, oppressive power. It was submission to a good and perfect king. See, the incredible thing is, if you look at revolutions across the world, when revolutionaries have achieved what they wanted, achieved the radical freedom that they sought after, the next kind of step was often a dark period in history. They threw off the oppression, they got the freedom, and many times in response to that, what later emerged was a more dark and oppressive version of uh, authority. Take, for example, the French Revolution. The French Revolution happened, but the next period was the period of the guillotine. And then a few years later, Napoleon Bonaparte emerged, who was incredibly dictatorial and wanted to take over the known world. Oftentimes, when people have overthrown authority, what has emerged later is an oppressive, more oppressive, more dark version of authority, because the reality is, you and I were not created to live under the oppressive authority of a dictator, but the liberating authority of King Jesus, of a perfect king who has a perfect kingdom. That's what you and I were created for. Friend, actually, when I think about it, that sort of submission is setting me free. See, the problem for the church begins to emerge when the new Gnostic beliefs that are driving our world begin to enter the church. And friend, go with me today and listen, if at this point you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait till Mike DeVita comes back. Good news, he comes back next week. And I will be straight back down to Auckland after this message. So if you don't like it, please come back next week because Mike is awesome. <laughs> but the issue is when we begin to see this Gnosticism sneaking into our Christian belief, when we start to think that uh, we see church as the pathway to the good and shiny life, right? The good and shiny Gnostic life. We think that if we attend church every Sunday or volunteer in a serve team, give to the missions uh, project and join a small group, then that will be our pathway to the good and shiny life that I deserve. Mark Sayers said, Gnostic Christians attempt to retain the fruits of Christianity, the solace of faith, while at the same time maximizing the individual's authority. This is the type of church that only seeks the king if they are getting the promise of the kingdom. Jesus, if I've got the house, got the peace, got the health, got the life I desire, got the things that make me happy, then I will serve you. This is the church that says, if I get the kingdom, then I will serve the king. And friend, that is Gnostic Christianity. It appears to be about the king, but you scratch beneath the surface and really it's about us. This is the type of church that disappears into the world because it reflects 
the world. This is the church that wants the kingdom without the king. Because the truth is that Jesus never said that the pathway to the kingdom was by seeking the things that make us happy. The message was never that we were to seek first the things and then we get the king. The message of Jesus was seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all else will be added unto you. See, I'm not denying the reality of the all else, you know? I'm not denying that we are on our way to receiving the promises of the kingdom. The great thing about the person of Jesus is that when we seek him first, his character is that he is promise maker and promise keeper. (laughs) We're seeking the promise maker and the promise keeper. I'm not denying the reality of the all else. I am asking if we have our priorities in the right order. If we are seeking the things to get the king, or if we are seeking first the kingdom and letting the all else follow, because friend, I can promise you that there is no kingdom without the king. In fact, the kingdom is only perfect because it's patterned after a perfect king. The only way to the kingdom is through the king. See, the church that is going to stand out in the world, a church that isn't going to disappear into the world, is a church that is not conformed to the pattern of the world. It is a church that is prepared to say, I am unashamedly, unapologetically, all after my King Jesus. It's a church that would say, yep, I'm a friend of God, I'm a child of God, I'm a co-heir with Christ, and I'm seated with heavenly places, but I am also a bond servant of him. I am also a slave to Christ. I am unapologetically under his authority. I'm not seeking the king just to get the things. I'm seeking the king for the king. Because, friend, he is just that good. And if that sounds like a challenge, then it is. It is. In fact, this whole message series has been a bit of a challenge, hey? It's been a challenge to not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want to challenge you today, ever so politely. There's a person who really does love you even from afar. (laughs) I want to challenge you today to be a church that stands out in this community because you are not reflecting the pattern of the world, but you are unapologetically about Jesus. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, If today you're saying that perhaps you have slipped in to that Gnostic thinking, and friend, if you have, can I just say there's really no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, when it says that we shouldn't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, part of that journey is discovering where we're conformed. (laughs) And perhaps today, this is the first time you've ever heard anything sort of in this kind of like ballpark. That's totally cool. I pray today that you'd make a radical commitment, a radical surrender, a radical submission to the person of Christ. I pray that we would be people who are boldly and unapologetically after the King. And so if you're in this place and you're saying, yep, that's me. I've been here for the things, but today I want the King. Right now I ask that you raise your hand, saying I'm making a radical commitment to King Jesus. Thank you, I see that hand, that's awesome. 
Is there anyone else today you want to make that decision? Saying today, I'm going to forsake, I'm radically after King Jesus. Radically surrendered, radically submitted. If that's you, just raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. For those of you who did that, I'm going to treat this as a born again moment. Radical surrender is what Christ is after. So I'm going to pray a prayer. Just repeat it in your heart. Just say, Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free. Let me pray for your church. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this church would be a church of radical surrender, radical submission, and radical obedience. May we be known as a church that is decisively and unashamedly after King Jesus. May we be known as a church of boldness, not as one who is conformed to the pattern of the world, but who is transformed by the renewing of our minds. May we not be a church that disappears into the community because we are reflecting the community. But may may we be a people who stand up in everything that Christ Jesus has called us to be so that we can point people to your name, to your love, to your grace, so that we can truly make a difference in Whangarei. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.